today and then I'll ask Clint to come forward with the sermon. Thank you, Mark. If we can open our Bibles at James 1, verse 22 to 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks up to himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but the doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Thank you, Clint. Well, good morning, everyone. And let me add my greeting to Mark's this morning, especially if you're visiting with us today. I see we've got a few visitors with us. We're very, very glad to have you. I uh, hope we can catch up with you afterwards over morning tea and get to know you. Please do have your Bible open at that passage in James, James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. And as we do that, can I pray for us? Our blessed Lord, you've caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. Please this morning allow us to hear, to read, to notice, to learn, and to absorb your word that encouraged and supported by your word, we may take hold of and not let go of the joyful hope of eternal life which you've given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. This we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, this is our sixth and final week in the series we've been doing using the Generosity Project. I'm sure you agree it's been an excellent theme to look at together, to consider what the Bible has to say about being big-hearted as Christians, as a reflection of the gospel. I think it's given us a greater appreciation of the gospel that has saved us, but also challenged us how we might live out the spirit of the gospel in our day-to-day lives. I know that's certainly been true for me. So perhaps if you've missed the last five weeks, or if this is your first time with us, or if you've just forgotten, that's okay. Uh, Let's recap what we've learned. We've learned, sorry, I'm missing a slide, I think. Where's my slide? That's okay. I'm missing a slide, but that's fine. First thing we learned was how generous God is towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at how he has just given us so much in Christ uh, through the gospel. Secondly, we learned how sin naturally bends our hearts, though, towards greed and towards selfishness. We also looked at how the gospel frees us to live a new and generous life, both towards God and towards others. Fourthly, we looked at how money is actually a gift of God that he gives us through which we can express generosity. And fifthly, we looked at how important it is to be generous towards each other first, so that as a culture of generosity takes root inside the church, it gives witness to the gospel that has saved us and of its transforming power among us, both to ourselves and to everyone looking in from outside as well. 
Now, a man training for ministry was once preaching a sermon to his final year preaching class. And he used all the tools he'd been taught that year. He used great illustrations that really connected with his audience. He did excellent exegesis of the passage. He, he had good structure. He quoted from dead guys. And he added a few little you know, Greek words here and there for good measure. After he'd finished his sermon, suddenly the, there was a voice from the back of the room where his professor was sitting, writing his sermon. And the voice simply said, So what? So what? As you see, the preacher had done all the work to tell the class what to believe uh, or what, what the Bible actually said, but he told them nothing of what it means to live out God's word practically in their own lives. Actually, so what is a critical question to ask whenever we come to read God's word or to hear God's word because it's, it's easy to listen to a sermon. It's easy to have a great time of Bible reading and prayer on our own or to you know, spend time around the Bible in our Wednesday night or Thursday night or Tuesday night, whatever night you meet in your home group. And for it to make absolutely no difference when we're in the kitchen or when we're in the office or on the building site or in the classroom or at the gym or at the beach or when it comes to how we spend our money or how we entertain ourselves or how we spend time with our friends or our family or no difference when we're lying awake at night wondering and worrying about things. So this morning, after five weeks so far of learning so many wonderful things in God's Word, we've got to ask ourselves the same question. So what? So what? It's really the question we should always be asking when we open the Bible, and perhaps more so today. Or as someone else put it, it might sound great on a Sunday. What difference does it make on Monday morning? So we'll look at this morning's passage under three headings. They're there in the outline for you today. Let's look first at verse 22. In 1987, the sports manufacturer Nike launched their first ever TV advertising campaign. And beneath the famous Nike swoosh, there were three little words which appeared for the very first time. Now, actually, the company thought the phrase was redundant. It advertising campaign didn't actually need it. Uh, it was the night before they went to the pitch, and one of the designers had kind of remembered the last words of, uh, of a death row inmate that he'd read about. and thought, oh, that does sound good. Um, and so they ended up just putting that phrase on the bottom of the advertising campaign. They thought, well, that's fine, you know, don't really need it. Next time, we'll, we'll do something else. But no one imagined that those three little words would have the impact that they did, not just on selling sports shoes, but on popular culture as we know it. Because everyone from elite athletes to amateur fitness fans to housewives going for their morning walk, they were being told, just do it. Just do it. At the same time, it was inspiring, it was encouraging, and it was affirming. And the world was never the same. Now, I think James uh, cottoned onto it a bit before Nike did, about 2,000 years before Nike did. It's the very much the same motto in verse 22, only the stakes are much, much higher. So please do have a Bible open at James chapter 1, verse 22, and follow along with me. Uh, incidentally, James was the brother of Jesus, and he wrote this letter as a leader of the church in Jerusalem to Christians scattered around the known world. And so he writes in verse 22 of chapter 1, but be doers of the word and not 
hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, it's always a good idea to follow the flow of an argument. And that little word, but, at the beginning of the sentence tells us that we're jumping in the middle of an argument here. It's a connecting word to point us back to the verse just before. Got your Bible open. Look just quickly at verse 21, where James wrote, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So what that tells us is that the context is about denying sin a place in our lives and instead humbly and obediently receiving the word of God which he plants in us and which has the power to save us. So with that in mind, then verse 22 highlights a mistake that's very easily made. That we can believe we've received the implanted word, but because it's not expressed in action, it becomes deceptive and it throws serious doubt on whether or not our souls are actually saved. Right? We can easily believe we received the word, But because it's not expressed in action, concrete, practical action, it throws serious doubt on whether we have actually received the word, whether it is planted in us, and whether, in fact, our souls are saved. In other words, if we're not doers of the word we've received, have we really received it? Or are we just deceiving ourselves? Because those who are truly saved, as the Bible says, are doers of the word. To explain what this means, James uses a very clever and relatable picture. This is our second heading in verse 23 and 24. Have a look with me there. He said, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, I'm sure that most of us probably looked in a mirror before we came to church this morning. So this shouldn't be an unfamiliar idea to us. So consider the guy that James has in mind. Gets up in the morning, before he goes out, he walks up to his mirror and he takes a good look at himself. He looks intently, he looks carefully. And as he does, he notices a few things. Number one, he notices that he needs a shave. Number two... He really needs to deal with those crusty bits around his eyes. Number three, this little bit of last night's Mexican takeaway on his left cheek and a bit between his teeth as well. He needs to do something about that. Number four, there's a really long hair sticking out of his nose. But suddenly, he looks away from the mirror, turns, walks out of the bathroom, gets dressed, hops in his car, and gets on with his day. Now, you and I would think that would be crazy. You saw a whole bunch of things that needed addressing, but you didn't do anything about them. What's that about? Our guy looked carefully at himself. He even noticed things that needed dealing with. But as soon as he looked away, he at once forgets what he is like, to use James's words. Now, what a razor-sharp way of showing up our engagement with God's word for what it often is. And just to be clear, the man's problem isn't just that he took a quick glance and kind of looked away again just didn't see everything. No, it's 
He saw what was there to be seen. He looked intently. He looked carefully. An hour-long sermon, personal Bible study with a commentary, reading a whole chapter rather than just a verse, reading something and then posting the verse on Facebook, going to a conference, getting a Bible college degree, being confronted with God's analysis of my heart and my life, shown the need to change, the need to live differently, to think differently. But nothing's done about it. And so without hearing becoming action, I'm just like someone who looks carefully at myself in a mirror, notices what's there, but goes away and at once forgets what I've seen. Does nothing about it. The hearing has made no difference to how I live. How can I be sure that I've really heard? And remember as well that the danger is not just the forgetting. The danger is being deceived, verse 21. In other words, if you're willing to read, hear, study the Bible, even intently and carefully, but not put it into concrete practical action in your life, you may be fooling yourself about whether or not you're actually a Christian, whether or not you're actually saved, whether or not you will get to heaven and Jesus might turn you away. Away from me, I never knew you. Those are the stakes, and they're high. Your salvation could be at stake here, friends. Let's not misunderstand James either, because it's not that our practical action saves us. No, only what Jesus does for us saves us. But faith in action is evidence of faith that saves In many ways, it comes down to expectations. What do we expect when the Word of God is open? Do we expect just to have our heads filled with more knowledge, learn more Bible facts? Do we expect just to have our theological itches scratched? Do we expect to get more ammunition for the arguments we have with people? Or do we even expect to hear something that others need to hear, that they must do things differently? Well, one Bible teacher reminds us, no part of the Bible is there simply to inform us or for our interest only. Always it calls us to turn to God, perhaps in a changed belief or a refreshed delight or a new behavior or an altered value system. But the turning must be done today. Now, just in case this sounds all a little bit Old Testament, James also reminds us that responding to God's word with practical, concrete action is absolutely worth it. And to see that, please look with me at verse 25. This is our final heading today. It says there that the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. For a Christian, God's law, God's way to live, not just from the Old Testament, but from all parts of the Bible, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it's wonderful for two reasons that James highlights for us here. The one reason is that God's law is actually an expression 
of God's holy and righteous character. God reveals what he's like through his law, through what he expects of his people. That's why it's perfect. We can actually know God through his law. But secondly, it's wonderful because it's a law of liberty, a law of freedom. Now, that sounds strange to us. We struggle to understand this because for us, usually, law means restriction. It means uh, slavery, even. But God's rules for life, which reflect his character, are meant for freedom. How can this be? God's laws actually allow us to live as we were created to be. God's way of life reflects his character, and therefore our creator's way of life for his people in the world he has made. It's like the the manufacturer's manual for how to live. God's law allows us to live as we were created to be. The best way in all areas of our life, in our relationships, in our sexuality, in using our resources, our money, in in the way we work, even in how we rest. God's laws are best because that's how he's made us, how he's designed us. But perhaps more than that, it's, it's not just the Creator's manual to live well in His world. It's also His law for those who've been set free from slavery to sin in Jesus Christ to live as we have been saved to be. Let me explain. It's, it's how we live well as we've been created to be. It's also how we live well as we've been saved to be. You see, even in the Old Testament, when we come to God's law, It wasn't the means of entry for God's people. It wasn't the way they got into the promised land by obeying God's law. God gave his law first after he'd redeemed them from slavery in Egypt and then expected them to live live his way. If you go look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, you notice they don't start with the first commandment. It starts by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery, the land of Egypt. So now that I've saved you, live this way. In our case, God's perfect law truly is a law of freedom because it no longer hangs over us to condemn us. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty of the law for the sins of those who have faith in him. That's what happened at the cross. And so through his spirit, he empowers us then to obey God's law in a way which is impossible before. One Bible teacher explains it like this. We see then that the Lord gives his law not as a means of salvation, but as a lifestyle for those who've already been saved. The law of God is the law of liberty because it safeguards, expresses, and enables the life of true freedom into which Christ has brought us. Isn't that wonderful news? There's a whole new spin to God's law for the Christian. Of course, with that in mind, it's not hard to see why the saved person is blessed as he does God's work, as he lives out the life that Jesus has bought him or her, responding to God's word as it's revealed to him. And you know, James is very perceptive here because I think he knows one of the biggest obstacles to doing this is the fear that God's word or his way of doing things is going to restrict us, it's going to spoil our fun. It's going to make life boring or cost us too much. Not at all, says James. He says, rather, obedience 
to God's word, it leads to blessing by being the people God has made us to be. And as we said earlier, not just as we're created to be, but as we've been saved to be forever. And notice there, it says we'll be blessed in our doing. This is not an exercise just in, in delayed gratification, that we you know, limit our lives now, live like hermits, and hopefully in heaven we'll get to enjoy the fruits of our labors. It's not like that at all. He actually says you'll be blessed in your doing. There'll be blessing as we enjoy the rewards of obedience even now living as the way God has saved us to be. And so, yes, it's absolutely worth it to live God's way because it allows us to be who we truly are. So what's the takeaway for today? It's really simple. When it comes to God's word, just do it. Put it into practical, concrete action in your life. As we do that, three things happen according to the Bible. First of all, it guards against self-deception about our salvation. Secondly, it's a way to know God whose law it is. And thirdly, it's a way to live out the freedom we have in Christ leading to blessing. I'd like to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about the practicalities of doing this. What does it actually look like to be someone who hears God's word and does it? And how can we do it well? Because we all know it's more than just opening our Bibles at a random passage and doing whatever our eye first falls on. If you do that with Acts chapter 1 verse 18, you're going to have problems. That verse says, Now this man Judas acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. Not so easy. So to help with this, I've got five things I'd like to share with you this morning, which I hope will help you to put God's word into practical, concrete action in your life. Hopefully my slides work this time. There we go. First one's pray. Whenever you come to God's word, pray. Pray to the one whose word it is. Ask him to help you. See what his word requires of you. Ask him to expose areas of your life that need the attention of the gospel. We can't really do this on our own because we're not very good at seeing what's really there in our hearts. We're very good at denying our own sin and denying our own need to change. We overestimate how well we're doing and we underestimate how much we still need to become like Jesus. So pray. Whenever you come to God's word, pray that God himself would speak to your heart. It's his word, after all. Pray expecting that he would change you and have something to say to you. Pray that he would show you what needs to change and give you what's needed to make those changes. Perhaps pray with King David in Psalm 139, where he prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So that's the first thing. First thing to do when we look at doing the word, not just hearing it, pray about it. Secondly, do it together. Another really important part of hearing and doing God's word is doing it together. Because sometimes we can read or hear a part of the Bible, but it's only as we discuss it with someone else 
talk about what they are seeing in God's Word, that it becomes clear what it requires of us. That's why it's good to be in church together, to listen to God's Word and talk about it afterwards at morning tea, or to go to a midweek Bible study group, or to meet one-on-one with a friend and read the Bible together. You see, we're actually a means of grace to one another. The Bible says to us that we should let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's a way God has designed for us to be doers of the word. And please don't think ever that, you know, you don't know enough to help someone else understand the Bible. But you haven't been a Christian long enough to help someone else be a doer of God's word. You know, some of the most amazing insights I've ever heard into the Bible come from people who've only just become Christians is they're seeing God's word with fresh eyes. And those of us who've been followers of Jesus for years and are very familiar with the Bible, well, we need you and your fresh perspectives to see what's there and to keep us from being jaded. Number three, ask the right questions. Ask the right questions. Sometimes we just don't know what to do with what's there in front of us in the Bible. I read that passage from Acts earlier. What do we do with that? Well, good Bible study skills are something every Christian should develop. And ways you can do this by being part of a small group Bible study during the week. It's a great way to learn how to interact with the Bible. Um, Or by using good devotional material that encourages you to engage with the Bible in in a thoughtful way. A very helpful set of questions actually comes from the German reformer Martin Luther. Uh, His barber actually asked him one day, you know, Martin, I really struggle to pray. Can you help me with that? So Martin thought, yes, I can. And he wrote him a book uh, on how to pray. And uh, in Luther's book, he wrote that for every part of the Bible he read, he asked himself four questions. These are the four questions. First of all, what is it telling me to do? Secondly, what is it telling me to thank God for? Thirdly, what sins does it tell me to confess to God and ask forgiveness for? And thirdly, what is it telling me to ask God for? What is it telling me to do? What is it telling me to thank God for? What sins is it telling me to confess? And what is it telling me to ask God for? And any of those could be really good ways to be a doer and not just a hearer of God's word. Even just the simple act of reading something in God's word and then stopping to pray and thank God for what he's given us. Well, that's that's being a doer of the word. Fourthly, sometimes I think we need the wisdom of people who've spent time thinking seriously about what the Bible says on various topics and themes uh, to help us know how to put them into practice. You know, we've got a a church library in the foyer that's full of excellent books to help you do this. Um, And we've even got a really fancy QR code checkout system to make it really, uh, really easy. Um, In our series on generosity this term, there are three books I've mentioned that I'd love to highlight uh, and recommend, and if they're not already in the library, they will be soon. Uh, The first one is this one, Money Counts, How to Handle Money in Your Heart and with Your Hands by Graham Bynum. The second one is The Money Mentor, Getting to Grips with Your Finances. And thirdly, Beyond Greed by Brian Rosner. All excellent books and great ways to maybe drill deep into what God's Word is saying and think about how you can put these things into practical action. You can also get these books at uh, Kurong or The Wandering Bookseller. 
but read good books. They're a great help in learning how we can put God's word into action. And fifthly, commit to change. We've got to actually commit to change. Yes, our place in heaven is secure. And when Jesus returns, he will take us to be with him forever in heaven because of what he's done, not because of what we've done or because of what we haven't done. And at the same time, the Lord has begun a good work in us. And he's promised to bring that work to completion at the day of Christ. Sorry. <clears throat> we can expect God to be at work in us. And so let's lean into that and commit to change. Commit to being, at, to being worked on. Commit to becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Commit to taking practical, concrete action based on what the Bible says. Now, this might also include telling someone you trust and asking them to hold you accountable. You might ask them to check in on you regularly, maybe in a week or in a month or you know, further down the track or a few times over the next six months to see how you're going and to pray for you. Now, our series on generosity has highlighted all sorts of things the Bible says about the gospel, about our hearts, about our use of the resources God has generously given us, about our money? What are we going to commit to change after learning about gospel-shaped generosity? Will we be hearers of the word, but not doers, and so deceive ourselves? You know, in in this series of generosity, my, my prayer is not that our church bank balance would go up, although if that did, that would be great. There's lots of great things we could do for the gospel if that happened. My prayer is that what we've learned about generosity would translate into concrete, practical action in our church family so that the people in our community would look at us and see people who are genuinely big-hearted and see something different in us and see Jesus in us. Myself, I've actually ordered a copy of um, Ash Carter's book, The Money Mentor, because I want to learn how I can be a better steward of what God has given me for the sake of the gospel. I'm looking forward to reading that and to putting God's word into practical action in my life. Now, I've said it out loud. I better do it. You know, I read back in July that Bill Gates has committed to give away, there we go, to give away enough of his wealth to make himself drop off the world's rich list. Now, of course, Bill Gates has a lot to give away. He's worth $118 billion dollars. But he's committed to giving enough away that he will drop off the end of the world's rich list. Let's remember what we read last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, because of Jesus, we are richer than Bill Gates. Because we're so rich then, will we, will we commit to dropping off the, the world's rich list? Will we commit to, what will we commit to doing with what we have that God has graciously blessed us with to express the gospel in our lives? How will we be doers of the word? 
That's a question each of us must answer. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he is like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Please give us your spirit that we might apply these things in our lives and live out the reality of the gospel.